Welcome to the Thrive City Church Podcast. My name is Pastor Ben, and I'm so grateful that you have decided to check us out. At Thrive City Church, we want you to experience a thriving life with Jesus. Wherever you are listening from, we hope that you find this message hopeful and encouraging. Hey, good morning, Thrive City Church. I hope that you were able to have an amazing Thanksgiving this past week. If you're anything like me, you are still full. I uh, had the challenge of putting on real pants today, and I realized how full I still was from Thanksgiving. But I I know that this has been a strange year, but I, I trust that you have been able to choose gratitude, that you have been able to make that conscious decision to rejoice and to be thankful in all situations or circumstances, even in the midst of such an unpredictable time. So if we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Pastor Ben. I'm the lead pastor here at Thrive City Church. And my wife and I, alongside of an amazing team, launched Thrive City Church this past September. It has been a wild ride. What a great past few months it has been. We have seen God do some incredible things in and through our church. And we are incredibly excited for the things that we believe that he has in store for us. Now this week, we are beginning a new collection of talks as we head into Christmas. And like I mentioned earlier this morning, today, this Sunday marks what we call Advent, the beginning of Advent. So traditionally, there are some churches that choose to set aside the first uh, four weeks or so leading up towards Christmas, and sometimes a few Sundays after Christmas, to really reflect upon and remember Two different things. Uh, I always think about it this way. Advent is about two different events. The birth of Jesus and then the future return of Jesus. So what we are going to do over the next couple weeks together as we begin this new collection of talks, we're going to focus on those two things. uh, Celebrating the birth of Jesus like we do around Christmas time, but then also talking about his future return. Now, we do not know when Jesus will come again. Nobody knows. And really, there's nothing that we can do except wait. I think all of us know what this is like when we're in a season of life where it feels like all we can do is wait. We're going to talk more about that this morning. But what do you do? What do you do in the in-between when all you can do is wait? How, uh, how are we supposed to not lose hope? How can we continue to experience peace and joy and love in the midst of waiting? Well, we're going to explore that this morning. But before we do, I would love to just pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for each and every person that has joined us this morning. I truly do believe that you have a plan and a purpose for their lives. I thank you. I thank you that you have led us all here together, that we can spend time in your presence. Jesus, we thank you for the joy of Thanksgiving and the time that we were able to spend together with friends and with family, either physically or virtually. And God, we thank you for the season of Advent where we can focus on and celebrate the birth of your son, Jesus. So Holy Spirit, we ask you this morning that you would do what only you can do. We ask that you would do a work within our hearts, changing and shaping us to be more and more like the people that you want us to be. We pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So now that Thanksgiving is behind us, we can shift gears 
towards Christmas. I know that there are some of you here in our church family and on our team that you just love Christmas. You have been listening to Christmas music basically since you took your Christmas tree down last year. But uh, now that Thanksgiving is past, a lot of us can mentally make that switch towards thinking about Christmas. Now, as a child, I distinctly remember there is nothing quite like the feeling of anticipation leading up to Christmas morning. Now, I'm sure that you remember the same thing. As a a young child, there was something so special about the, the time leading up to Christmas. Now, I'm not sure if you remember this, some of you that might be a little younger than myself, but there used to be something that was called the wish book. I think it was put out by Sears. This is back before the internet took over everything, but it was called the wish book and it was a thick magazine essentially of everything that Sears sold. There was all sorts of different sections uh, about clothes and appliances and different things like that, but there was a great section all about toys. So one of the things that my brother and I loved to do was to get the wish book and sit down with a highlighter or a colored pencil and go through the wish book and just dream about all these different toys that we wanted. And we would circle the ones that we wanted. And ultimately my parents would then have a better idea about what they could get us for Christmas. It was just such a special time of, of hope and anticipation leading up to Christmas morning. Now, it seemed like no matter how close or far away Christmas morning was, it always felt like it would never get here. It felt like it, felt like it would take forever for Christmas to come again. And when Christmas finally did arrive, I could hardly contain my excitement. There's this one specific year that I remember. My brother and I woke up early Christmas morning like children often do, hardly able to contain their excitement. And we made our way to our mom's bedroom and we woke her up and we said, Mom, Mom, it's Christmas. Let's go open our presents. And she kind of looked at us strangely with you know, sleep in her eyes. And she said, do you, know, do, you, do you know what time it is? Do you have any idea? What time you just woke me up? It was 2.30 in the morning. My brother and I were so excited. We couldn't contain ourselves that we thought, we thought, yep, since we woke up, it was good to go. We wanted to open our presents. So thankfully, my mom allowed us to go open up all the presents. And we sat there in front of the Christmas tree at 2.30 in the morning on Christmas morning and opened our presents. And then we went back to sleep and woke up later on. Now, that was a funny story, but uh, the best part is the next year, the next year, my brother and I had kind of forgotten all about that. My mom set her alarm for 2.30 in the morning and returned the favor and woke us up early on Christmas. And I must say, uh, we were not as thrilled as we were the year before. Now, as I've gotten older, and I'm sure that you can attest to this, my anticipation and my appreciation for Christmas has somewhat matured. You know, before, when I was young, it seemed like I could barely wait for Christmas to come. And now I enjoy Christmas, but uh, it's okay. I can wait. I I can sleep in on a Christmas morning. It's fine. However, it seems like there have been other areas in my life as I've gotten older where I've also had a difficult time waiting. And as any teenager can attest to, When I was in high school, it felt like that was going to last forever. 
I felt like I could barely imagine the end of high school. And college was no different. Don't get me started on college. I spent eight years in college chasing different degrees, and it felt like that was never going to end. I had a hard time wading through that. And years ago, I remember lying in my bed awake at night, just dreaming about different ways and wondering how I was going to be able to leave the dead-end job that I was working and actually find myself in a career that I enjoyed. And I also remember being single in my 20s and seeing so many of my close friends develop serious and committed relationships and just wondering if that was ever going to be me, if I was ever going to experience the same thing. So there was all these different seasons in my life, and I'm not going to lie, I'm still in the middle of a couple of them. There's seasons in my life where I have a really difficult time waiting. Typically, it's because I feel like I have no control over the situation, that there's nothing that I can do except wait. So let me ask you this morning, what is it that you are waiting for? What are you waiting for this morning? Maybe you are engaged and it feels like it's going to be an eternity before you can have your ceremony and your celebration. Or maybe you're ready to move out of your parents' house, but you're having a hard time with the logistics of making that happen and finding the right place that you can afford. Perhaps you're trying to make a career move. You're trying to advance your career, but this pandemic has kind of uh, put a hard stop on all your aspirations. Now, maybe there's nothing specific that you can think of, but maybe your life just feels like you're stuck on hold, like you're stuck in a waiting room, hoping that somebody will call your name. All of us struggle with waiting. It leads us to start questioning things and we ask, God, where are you? Where are you in the midst of all of this? Have you forgotten about me? I could really use that miracle. I could really use that breakthrough. I could really use that moment of clarity or direction. God, what comes next? What can I do when all I can do is wait? As a child, like I talked about, I had a hard time waiting for the sun to come up on Christmas morning. And as an adult, right now, I'm having a hard time waiting the past few months as my wife and I expect our first child. Shout out Oakley James Tubbs, due December 22nd, 2020. But can you imagine, can you imagine not waiting just for a day or for a month or for a year? Can you imagine waiting 700 years, 700 years for something to pass? Well, this morning, we're going to look at two different passages of scripture from the books of Isaiah and Micah. And in these books, these passages were written around the same time in a very interesting period for the people of Israel. Now, we're going to dip really quickly into some of the history of Israel, and I apologize if you're not too familiar with it, but this will hopefully catch you up to speed. Now, what had once been a powerhouse of a kingdom had now been divided into two warring factions. There was the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Now, having been divided, these two different kingdoms of of Judah and Israel, they were more susceptible to being conquered. And as surrounding nations became more powerful and the thought of being conquered started to become a reality, the people began to wonder, much like I do sometimes, 
God, where are you? Have you forgotten about us? I could really use that miracle. I could really use that breakthrough. God, where are you? Now, during this time, this really interesting period in the history of the nation of Israel, God was not silent. God chose to speak through prophets. Now, prophets served a different role and a different purpose than priests. And again, if you're not too familiar with this, it probably sounds like I'm talking about Dungeons and Dragons or something like that. But there's a difference between prophets and priests. Now, the primary focus and the, the responsibility of priests was to represent the people to God. And the primary focus and the responsibility of prophets was to represent God to the people. Do you see the difference there? Where priests represented the people to God, prophets kind of did the opposite and they represented God to the people. So the books of prophecy that we find within scripture kind of serve that purpose. It's kind of, it's kind of God speaking through the prophets to the people of Israel and then ultimately to us. Now, the books take different forms. Uh, some of the different books filled with prophecy contain vivid imageries of battle or future events and the, the end of days. And then others are filled with beautiful poetry reminding the people to be faithful to God. So this morning, I want to read a passage from the book of Isaiah, and then a little bit later, we're going to read a verse from the book of Micah. I'm reading out of Isaiah chapter 9. I'm beginning in verse 2, and I'm going to read through verse 7. It says this, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide their spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. There's a good chance that you have heard portions of the scripture before around Christmas time, or maybe you're hearing it for the first time and you're thinking, wow, that sounds an awful lot like they're talking about Jesus, right? Well, yes, exactly. The prophet Isaiah in this passage foretold the coming of Jesus 700 years before it happened. So it's not just this passage. All throughout the book of Isaiah, there are different passages that foretell different events about the life of Jesus, his birth, his death, all sorts of different things. 
But in a time of unrest and upheaval for the people of Israel, the prophets, Isaiah here, he's assuring the people that God is still at work. This gave the people hope and something to hold on to. You know, Isaiah here is saying, like, although life around them is changing and that their, their nation had been divided into two and now they're heading into what looks like being conquered by surrounding nations and life is nothing like they had expected it to be. They thought that God had forsaken them. Isaiah is saying, no, God is still at work. And before you know it, things are going to change. And then he starts talking about this this child that is going to be born, that's going to change everything, who's going to rule over all things. Isaiah gave the people hope and something to hold on to by saying that God was still at work. However, after Isaiah wrote this, one year turned into two and five years turned into 50. And soon enough, Israel got conquered by the Assyrians, and then ultimately the Babylonians. The next thing you knew it, the people of Israel were living in captivity and they were scattered around the known world. And in that moment, now more than ever, the people had a reason to wrestle in their waiting. And I can only imagine they must have been wondering, God, where are you? Where are you in this in-between? We know that you have promised good things. You promised that a son would come, that the government would be upon him, that he would rule all things, that he would restore us to the things that we know this nation can be. God, can you really be in control if we're conquered, if, if we're living in captivity? God, we're waiting for you to move. Jesus wasn't born for 700 years after Isaiah wrote this passage. 700 years. God continued to speak through different prophets over the years up until about 300 years after Isaiah wrote this. But then there was a span of time of silence, 400 years of silence, where God chose not to speak through prophets or kings or priests 400 years of silence. The people of Israel had to do a lot of waiting. So this morning, I want to encourage you in your season of waiting with a few different points that we can learn from this passage in Isaiah and from the verse in Micah that I'll read in just a second here. In Micah chapter 7, verse 7, the prophet says this, But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for my God, my Savior. My God will hear me. I'm going to read that one more time. It's such a beautiful verse. But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. Now, Micah was written around the same time as the passage that we read in Isaiah in this difficult time for the nation of Israel, for Judah and Israel. And in this, they were able to find hope. They were able to find hope in the promises of God that even though they didn't know how long it was going to take to see those promises fulfilled, people like the prophet Micah were able to say, God, I do not know how long this is going to take, but I place my hope in you. I'm watching for you. I'm waiting for you. I wait for God, my Savior, my God. I know that you hear me in the waiting. 
So in the long middle, in the season of waiting, in the season of feeling stuck as a people and as a nation, Israel was able to say, we will watch in hope for the Lord. I want to encourage you this morning with a couple different takeaways that we can learn from the book of Isaiah and from this passage in Micah. Somebody this morning needs to hear that what you are looking for in life directs who you are living for. What you are looking for in life directs who you are living for. The the things that you set your sights upon, the things that you dream about, really help set the direction and the course of your life. So in this case with the people of Israel, the things that they set their sights upon, it really determined the direction of how they were going to live and, and the way that they were going to watch and, and hope for God to move. You know, as they were experiencing being conquered by the Assyrians, and by the Babylonians, and, and the, li- the life that they had come to know quickly changed and they were led away into captivity for years and years, if that became their sole focus, they would lose sight of the things that God had in store for them. However, for the people of Israel, they remembered the scriptures. They remembered the things that God had promised them. And they continued to have hope and to wait, knowing that God had promised that a son would come, that a Messiah would come and it would deliver them. So the same thing can be said for you and I. The things that we're looking for in life really determine who we are living for. If we spend so much time focusing on the wrong things and in these seasons of waiting in our life, we focus on the problems that we have instead of the promises that God has made. We end up living only for ourselves, looking for some sort of quick fix or solution to get us unstuck. And out of those seasons of waiting, we look to take Take back control because we cannot wait for God any longer. But if we continue to align our thoughts and our priorities and we focus on the promises of God, we will be able to clearly proclaim, like Micah says, that we will watch in hope for the Lord, that I will wait for God. So if those are the things that we're looking for in our life, that will help determine the things that we're living for and who we are living for. So I want to ask you this morning, what are you living for? Are you feeling defined by your defeat or are you feeling defined by the dreams and the plans and the purposes that God has for you? Because that really does determine the direction and the focus of your life. So this morning, I, I, I really hope, and it's my prayer for you, that you will be able to keep the promises of God on the forefront of your minds, that those are the things that you will be living for, that are directing you, so that in turn, you can live in faithful obedience to the things that God has for you. Another thing that I feel like somebody needs to hear this morning as we head into this Christmas season as life continues to be crazy and chaotic for so many of us, somebody needs to hear this morning to be patient in the process by trusting in God's timing. Be patient in the process and trust God's timing. This is a really difficult thing to hear, and it couldn't have been easy for the people of Israel to be patient in that process. The people had heard from the lips of the prophet that God was going to deliver them, that he was going to send a son, a Messiah, and deliver them from captivity. 
but there's a long distance between the promise and the promised land. And that middle, that middle piece is a process. And the same goes for you and I. I believe that God has made promises to us within scripture, but it is a process. It is a process that we need to learn to be patient in. Now, if we're to maintain a perspective of hope in the midst of that process, we need to have trust. We need to have trust that God is in control, that he has our best interest at heart. I mentioned it briefly before, but I personally have a really hard time waiting because I want to have control over the situation. So you might be in a similar situation where you're trying to be patient. You know that God is at work in your life, but you're having a hard time being patient because you want to have control. So I encourage you this morning that, that part of having hope comes from having trust. And having trust means giving up control. So I ask you this morning, what are areas in your life that you need to relinquish control to God? That you need to say, God, I've been so impatient. I'm having such a hard time waiting for this. But God, I I need to give up control. God, I, I cannot keep this to myself. I cannot hoard this. I cannot fight you on this anymore. I need to trust you. God, help me trust you. Give me hope. Give me Patience in the process because, God, I'm trusting in your timing. Be patient in the process. This last little encouragement that I want to leave you with this morning is this. Don't let your expectations turn to idols. Do not let your expectations turn to idols. Now, this takes a little bit of explaining. The people of Israel, while they waited 700 years for the fulfillment of that promise that God made through the prophet Isaiah, for the son, for the Messiah that they had been waiting for, they began to develop these expectations of exactly who and what this Messiah would look like. And for those of you that have read some of the New Testament, you know how this goes when Jesus was finally born. When Jesus was born, nobody nobody believed it. People had a really hard time believing that Jesus was the Messiah that had been prophesied. And ultimately, they had such a difficult time believing that they ended up killing Jesus, crucifying him on a cross. Do you see what happened here? The the expectations that the people of Israel had about their Messiah turned into an idol. Because for them, they, they began to have this expectation or this understanding of who their Messiah was supposed to be. The way that he was uh, supposed to deliver them from captivity. That he was going to have political control and influence. And he was going to raise up a, a mighty army and deliver them from captivity and lead them into the promised land. And then all of a sudden, Jesus, the servant savior, shows up on the scene preaching love and acceptance and turning the other cheek. And for them, they just could not understand it. 
And for many of us, we, we can read the scripture and, and almost think, well, how foolish could they have been to miss what was directly in front of them? But we need to understand that we are no different than them. For many of us, the expectations that we have in our life about the way that we feel that God should move, that turns into an idol. It turns into an idol, something that we focus ourselves on, that we actually begin to worship and orient our lives around. So much, in fact, that we miss God at work in our life. So in scripture, the Messiah that had been prophesied by Isaiah, it had to be Jesus. It had to be Jesus. It couldn't be any other way. But they didn't accept him or understand him because their expectations had turned into idols. So this morning, somebody needs to hear that your expectations, the, the thoughts that you have about the way that you feel God should work in your life, that is turning into an idol. And if you focus too much on that and you are unwilling to repent of that or, or to change your understanding, you are going to miss God at work in your life. So in this season of waiting, have you been focusing on God's promises or life's problems. This is a really easy mistake to miss, especially when we're living in a crazy world like we are right now. It's so easy to focus on the world's problems and forget about God's promises. So this morning, the first Sunday of Advent, as we approach the Christmas season, I encourage you to make that decision to look back and to celebrate and to remember the things that God has done, both in history and in your own life. And then I encourage you to look forward with hopeful expectation, knowing that he will come again. So remember, what you are looking for directs who you are living for. Be patient in the process by trusting in his timing. And don't let your expectations turn into idols. God is at work in the midst of your waiting. Whatever season of life you find yourself in where you feel stuck and you're just waiting for God to move, God is at work in the midst of your waiting. Do not lose hope. He is with you. So church, we have this hope. We have this hope in Jesus Christ. The same one that was prophesied about in the book of Isaiah. And this is a time in the life of our church that we need to cling on to this hope. This is a time that I hope that we look back on with fond memories and funny stories to tell of the time that we spent in this little studio of ours. As difficult and discouraging as things can be sometimes, we know that we are on this journey together, believing that God is at work in our waiting. So we, as followers of Jesus, we're called to remain faithful while remembering his faithfulness. So what we're going to do this morning is we are going to take communion together. Now, I know that our church is made up of diverse backgrounds and, and people with different church experiences. So I, I want to talk about communion really quickly before we partake together. Now, I, I believe that communion, 
in partaking in communion together as a church is a conviction, not a tradition. So a tradition being something that, that has always been done and therefore we're going to do it because it's always been done and we can't really think about doing anything else because it's what we've always done. No, communion is a, is a conviction. It's something that God in scripture commands us to do. So we do not take communion because it's the way that we've always done it. We take communion because it's something that God has told us to do. So by taking communion together as a church, we're able to do a couple different things. We're able to look back and remember the life of Jesus and his death and his burial and his resurrection. And we're able to look forward at the things that he is going to do in our lives and in the life of our church as we wait for him with hopeful expectation. So I want to remind you that that we believe that there is nothing inherently uh, special or sacred about the elements that we choose to use for communion. So perhaps if you have uh, juice and bread or wine and a cracker, I personally have a little bit of uh, strawberry lemonade mio and some Ritz crackers. There we go. I know, I went all out. So again, there's really nothing special or sacred about the elements that we choose to use for communion. Really anything that you have readily available is great. Uh, what, what is special about communion is God meeting us in this moment. God doing a work within us as we partake together. Much like the big Thanksgiving meal that many of us had this past week provides nourishment for our bodies, partaking in communion together as a church provides nourishment for our souls. So I, I hope at this point you have been able to gather together the elements that you want to use for communion. I'm just going to read through some scripture and then we will partake together. I'm reading out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Now do this in remembrance of me. It was a big cracker. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for dying on the cross in our place, that, that your body was broken for us. God, we thank you that you came, that you were born. You were born into a physical body, being fully God and fully man. God, we thank you that you came, that you lived a perfect life so that you could die in our place, taking upon yourself the weight of the world's sin. We thank you, Jesus. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray again. Jesus, we thank you for your blood. We, we thank you for your shed blood on the cross. 
that is a better sacrifice than the blood of Abel. God, we thank you that you have provided for us a way to have a relationship with the Father. God, we thank you that through you, we are able to experience a thriving life. God, I I pray for our church right now that in this moment, we are able to quiet our souls, that we are able to reflect upon the things that you have done the things that you have done in our lives. And God, we wait on you. We wait on you with hopeful expectation, knowing that you are at work in our waiting. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe this morning, God has been doing a work in your heart and you feel like he has been been tugging on your heartstrings and you have yet to have or to experience what a personal relationship with him is like. I want to encourage you this morning to say yes to Jesus, to call upon his name because he is there and he wants to have a life-giving relationship with you. If that's you this morning and you want to say yes to Jesus, I would encourage you to pray with me. Jesus, uh, again, I thank you. I thank you for your sacrifice, for dying on the cross in my place. Jesus, I know that I could never be good enough. Jesus, I, I know that this is not about the things that I can do. It is only about what you have done on the cross. So Jesus, I accept you into my life as my Lord and my Savior. I give you control. I ask that you would make me into the person that you would want me to be. Because Jesus, I want to follow you. Help me to experience a thriving life with you, Jesus. Amen. If that was you this morning and you just said yes to Jesus for the first time, I would love to connect with you. I would love to help equip and empower you to take the next steps towards a thriving life with Jesus. Uh, If you want to connect with me, all you have to do is text the word THRIVE to 94000. It'll lead you to fill out a quick form and it'll put you right in touch with me. Well, church, I love you. I appreciate you. Let's spend just a couple more minutes together in worship. Thank you so much for listening today. We want to empower you to take the next step towards a thriving life with Jesus. If you're looking to get more connected, head over to our website, thrivecity.church connect. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and we would love to connect with you.